Hello and welcome to Movie of the Year, the only podcast with the science and the screaming to determine the best movie for any given year. This season, we are focusing on 1997. I am your host, Gregory, and I am here to make movie history with two of my best buds, but definitely my best, best bud, Ryan. How you doing, Ryan? Oh, I was for some reason I was nervous that like I wasn't going to be anointed, but yeah, why would I be? I'm used to it at this point. Did you think that last week that Mike was going to like be a shoe in to win? I sort of did. Yeah, yeah. send him out. You know what? Uh, he he did really well, but ultimately I don't bullshit. <laughs> I, I don't I don't bullshit. It's just one of your traits. Uh, Mike is not here, and but with us is Taylor. That's I'm feeling real good. Me and Mike combined, we couldn't beat him last week. So that, I think this week I've got it in the bag. That is true. Uh, but Mike did kind of a weird thing. He grabbed drop pad when he didn't win last time. And he hit the get her done key a hundred times while running around. And we got tuckered out trying to get him, and he scampered off with Drop Pad. Which is gnarly because Drop Pad was born, I guess, in yeah. uh, 1978. Mm-hmm. He is seven feet tall, he's 500 pounds, yeah. and Mike just ran away with him. Yeah, yeah. Drop, drop Pad's just a dude doing voices for us, and Mike just threw him over his shoulders, fireman carry style. He's been working out while he was dead. <laughs> You know what? Yeah, he was like he really got thinned out, uh, but you could really see those muscles pop in. Yeah, ever mm-hmm. since he died, guys. Tonight's movie is Goodwill Hunting, and as a way of introduction, I just want to ask you, like, what? Ha- where does this movie rank for you? Did you love it when it first came out? Were you skeptical about wanting to watch it now? I've never seen this movie. Oh, I've, you had never seen it? The, oh, my only knowledge of Goodwill Hunting is filtered through other media. Uh-huh. So, so many times during this movie, I was like, oh, like, you know, That's it's always sunny. It is sort of the godfather of the 90s in yeah. that way. It like, is. It is a movie-ass movie. And this is why you have spent your entire life like being cool with Boston people. It's just you haven't seen this movie yet. Yeah, and you know what? Now, Boston, you're on fucking notice. Okay, how did we feel about Boston at the time? I have to say, this was, you have to remember, 97 Boston, right? Uh, the of Red Sox had not been... The lovable losers. Yeah, they had city. not been a legitimate baseball team for any time. Yeah, the uh, Celtics glory days were long over. Patriots and, had never had glory days at that point. Yeah, and I, d- hockey is not something I believe in, but <laughs> I, I, I think that uh, the the Bruins were terrible then and are now are good now. Now they've won since this time a hundred championships, mm-hmm. uh, and I feel like in that time everybody decided they hated Boston. The sort of one of the open secrets of Boston that I didn't know about in '97, but I've heard a lot since then, is that it's like. Extremely racist place, mm-hmm. um, which I don't know. Is there are there any signs of that in this movie? Well, let me ask. There's you no the, other minorities to be racist yeah, to. Yeah, that's another thing. Like, it's, it, I'll put it this way: it reminded me a lot of my hometown growing up, uh-huh. <laughs> which is that there is only white people, so there's no racism here. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> well, there's no one to be racist to. I don't. I, there's not a racist bone in anyone's body because they don't have the opportunity. Because everyone around them is just very white. But we still want to vote red. That way we keep it in the pristine condition that it is right of now. Of course. 
I there is something weird. Like I feel like in '97, this was like, "Hey, smart people, Boston, right?" (laughs) In in 2019, it is setting up a dichotomy between smart people and the people of Boston. Yeah, (laughs) but in 2019, like I just watched a movie about a like punk ass white kid having no repercussions for his like very violent actions Uh just because he has a bright future. (laughs) What movie is this? The subway (laughs) commercial. What? <laughs> that three minute subway commercial. Yeah. No, but I mean like that's that's what this movie is, is a dude who's like a Brock Turner ass dude who uh-huh. like he beats up a cop and they're like, Oh well, you're pretty smart, so we'll give you a pass on this. Your eleventh charge. Yeah, there is obviously a scene where Dr. Skarsgard is like He's super brilliant. Just let him out of jail. And they're like, okay, but another older white person has to like take care yeah. of him as well. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, okay, whatever. We're just trying to make a movie here. Get out of my hair. And the judge, the doctor's like, who are you? And he's like, white. And he's like, okay, take him away, <laughs> cool. gentlemen. There we go. Like One of his charges was impersonating an officer. <laughs> I think when you punch a cop, only a cop can punch a cop. So oh, just by sense. punching a cop, you're yeah. impersonating an officer. Well, we're going to have a wicked good conversation, everybody. But before we do, we have to do a Rushmore of the 1997 Hot Girls. Mount Rushmore, a mountain noted for housing four of just our absolute hottest presidents. Uh, Lincoln was a smoke show. George Washington's teeth were made of pure sex. Mm. Uh, But unfortunately... When Mike ran off, he also grabbed Mount Rushmore and took that with him as well. It's not when you see Mount Rushmore, it's not as big as you expect it to be. And he was able to just take it and, and just head on out. So we're gonna have to replace it. Uh it falls on us to do this periodically when something happens to Mount Rushmore, or when we remember that Mount Rushmore is not even real. Uh and we have to make one. And so I thought we're doing ninety seven for the show. Why don't we talk about the hot girls of ninety seven and we'll we'll put them on a mountain. That right. makes sense. That checks out for me. Does it? That I mean, I feel like A to B. You know, yeah. you have a problem and you just solve it in the most straightforward way possible with chisels. With chisels, <laughs> with our our chiseled visages. Ryan, you are our champion. So to you go the spoils. Who do you think should go up on this Mount Rushmore? Ninety-seven was a great year, even better than Hot Boys for like perfectly ninety-seven girls. Uh-huh. But I think when you think of ninety-seven, uh, there is one lady if I may call her that, that just, it, she was all of it from attitude, style. It's Gwen Stefani. Yeah. Gwen Stefani yeah. is 1997. That's yeah. very good. I don't want to, I don't want to say good things about you. You don't want to have a competition, but that's yeah. a very good, that's a very good pick. That's going right up on, of course. on the mountain. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, everyone wanted to be Gwen Stefani's girlfriend. Some, some people wanted to be her boyfriend, but everybody definitely wanted to be her girlfriend. Taylor. Yes. That's that's a strong opening. It's a strong opening, but I'm going to throw something out there that I think is just as strong because she is strong and badass. It is one Sarah Michelle Geller. Mm. Okay. 1997 was her fucking year. Was so this is like peak Buffy? Yeah, years. and a horror movie, and a horror movie. Yeah, she's what? got them both. Okay, because she was. I know what you did. Yes, last summer. So she she is at the top of her game. 97 is Sarah Michelle's year. The year of the Geller. And so she's related Ross Monica. to Ross, Ross and Monica. Monica. Yeah. Wow. Very interesting. Yeah. You know what? Right up on the mountain. Of course. Right up on the mountain. This was this was a strong year for yeah. for hot girls. Okay. Well, 
I get I, sometimes I get excited with the first couple things I see. No, those are I think those are two those are slammy D's. Yeah, those are, those slammy, are D's. slammy D's. But now probably we'll start taking a little side trip through maybe Alley. Ryan, do you have someone who's hanging out in Maybe Alley? It's gonna have to start with Taylor with the Maybe Alley because I have seven words for you guys. Nope. <laughs> no, fuck you! Yeah. You can't take this from me. The greatest, <laughs> smartest, most clever Twain in American history God is Shania Twain. <laughs> it's, it's a very good pick, and she could not be more ninety-seven if yeah. Devin Sawa hit her with a truck. <laughs> well, I am gonna put it up. I'm gonna put her up on Maybe Mountain there. It, it, listen, Shania Twain deserves all of. The, I just the you guys in love. You guys say that there are a, apparently there were more than just a handful of attractive women in 1997. So I want to hear some more names. Shania Twain is she man? I feel like a woman. She is. Yes. yes. Okay. She, this specifically this year, she released an album that had I think 12 hit singles. <laughs> Wow, and I'm and I don't think that I'm exaggerating. It was like every song on the album charted. Dang, and it was one of those weird things where, like, typically us in real society block people with like country semblances from coming into our life. Yeah, and she just broke through. She was the Taylor Swift of her generation. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, oh, she's very charming. Okay, I'll listen to this song, and then yeah. you're like, well, this is just very much a country song. Yeah. And oh well, like it's too late now. Unbelievably gorgeous. Yeah, like, yeah. Just so incredibly hot. Yeah, Incredible. Uh, that marriage of like talent and attractiveness. I thought you were going to talk about her actual marriage. <laughs> oh, and does she, she does she have a super nice happy marriage? That uh, she a country kept, star. I haven't because that's always attractive. I haven't kept up with Shania Twain. I don't remember. But Shania, write the show. Write the Let show. Let us know how it's going. R E your marriage, Taylor. Yes. Do you have somebody that you think is attractive oh, enough to be carved into stone? I I think absolutely, and I'm glad that you used. The word stone. Okay. Because my next pick is... Emma Stone? Alicia Silverstone. Oh. This was, this was peak hot her. Like, she just did Clueless a few years before, and this year she's in Batman and Robin. That's it. You just you argued against yourself. What? This is not the year of Clueless. This is yeah. the year of Batman and Robin. It's the year of Batman and Robin, in which they put her in, like, a weird, skimpy, like, hot suit. No, like, <laughs> not skimpy, fully clothed, but I with mean, nipples. Yeah, it's, uh, okay, it's the nipples. The nipples always make me think that there's less fabric on all of their suits than there are. <laughs> I like whenever I think of that movie, I think like Robin was in the little like pantaloons and nothing else, like bare legs. <laughs> I will say that they did give George Clooney and Chris O'Donnell's suit. They put nipples on it, but for her, they just cut the nipples off. Yeah, so. <laughs> those are her real nipples, which is not very safe. That's not good. No, they had to do a whole lot with the the stunt department. Be like, hey, stay away from anything to do with the nipples. That's my Achilles heel. Like, you can punch me anywhere, but if you gently graze my nipple, I'm on the <laughs> ground screaming. <laughs> Like Andy Bernard from The Office. Uh-huh. If I run 15 steps, I need to bandage up these nipples before I do it. I'm going to put her on the maybe pile. Because I do. Ryan had a good point when he said maybe this was not like her peak year. Excess baggage didn't even come out this year. Like, what are we doing Whoa, here? What are we? Yeah. What's the meaning of any of this? Okay, Ryan. Um, I want to talk about somebody who we've talked about a lot in this season. Um, I think that this was, we really thought that Heather Graham was going to launch into superstar status. Uh, yeah. We could put Roller Girl on here. Like, we could put a fictional character, because that's what a big deal she was back then. Yeah. But uh, Heather Graham was really like a hot commod back then. I have to say, Heather Graham, obviously very hot, but after watching Boogie Nights uh, recently, like, 
I feel weird about finding the character of Roman yeah. real hot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah like she's in high school. I, yeah. I I guess I was a young man when that when that movie came out, so I could maybe forgive myself. But watching it this time, I was like, oh, this is not a sex symbol. This is like she's basically a child. Not, not good. Don't do that. But she's played by an adult woman who is very attractive. I think actually that one I'm putting right up on. Oh shit! Yeah, that Jesus. one that was going right up on the mountain. Oh no! The okay. stakes. The stakes just got higher. It's weird because you have to, you either have to make Greg feel not dirty at all or very dirty. That's yeah. how you get on. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing in the middle. Taylor, can yes. you make me feel really dirty? Oh, I hope so. <laughs> all right. When Drop Pad gets back, that is a drop for sure. <laughs> oh, okay. So ni- when I think 1997, I think science fiction. And when I think science fiction, I think network television. And when I think network television... I think of shows. And when I think of shows <laughs> in 1997, I think of the X-Files. And when I think of the X-Files, R.E. Hot Girls, R.E. 1997, Jillian Anderson is my answer. Okay. That's my, I walked you through my whole thought process. No, no I, we did. We remember that. It was like, it was like zoom, zoom, zoom. That was like being on the tram to the Pot Filter Hall of Fame. That whole thing. <laughs> okay. Uh... Definitely very attractive. It's what I'm getting hung up on is hot because I feel like she brings such a different energy. Well, because than because hot. the mind is hot. In 1997, we were all about hot minds. Yeah, and also is she's that true. Is that and, what we were into? And also she's physically. Never ever. Also physically, she's super hot. No, she's very attractive. It's not a question of whether or not she's attractive. And mentally, she's she's very attractive, and she's got a gravitas. But I, mean, I, I th- want her to be my serial murderer. There was a show about how <laughs> David Duchovny wanted to have sex with her, and that guy wouldn't have sex with anyone. Like, his standards <laughs> were so high. <laughs> he was not willing to, except for that one time where he took that picture of himself with his dick in a teacup. That oh, was the yeah. only time that dick's even ever been in anything. Oh, teacup dick. Well, put her on the maybes, and then I am going to survey the maybes. This is an outrage. This is where if Drop Pad were here, I would start a big drum roll. But again, no drop pad. Hold on. Thanks, I, Mike. I'm going to fill in. Drum roll. Oh, whoa. <laughs> I was transported. Uh, so who are the babies, Ryan? We have Shania Twain. We have Alicia Silverstone. And we have, is she a Gil or a Jill? I think Jill. I think it's Jillian Anderson. Jillian Anderson. But for me, it's got to be Shania Twain. God damn it. Ryan. You're right, but goddamn it. Taking the point. So, Ryan, who is on our mountain of 97 hot girls? Guys, you have two musicians, and we don't even know anything about music. We have Gwen Stefani and Shania Twain, Sarah Michelle Geller and Heather Graham. Very good. Very attractive. Now, that's a mountain people want to pull over and take a look at. Am I right, guys? Huh? Nudge, nudge. <laughs> yep. Sure are, buddy. <laughs> Nothing creepy about that. Made I, it made it right out of that segment without saying anything creepy. Good job. And I'll see you on the other side of this sound effect. <laughs> Set in the hellscape of late 90s Boston, Goodwill Hunting follows our titular Will as he deals with being super smart in a world of smarty wannabe phonies. But his troubled past and violent outbursts find him under the tutelage of a crusty old professor and in the care of the lowest form of life, a community college instructor. Together, these men raise a tempestuous will up and inspire him to love himself, admit he, just like the rest of us, loves Minnie Driver, and move to California, a place far superior to Boston in every way. So, gentlemen, I ask you this. Goodwill Hunting was nominated for three acting nominations, 
But who is the true MVP of the movie? Robin Williams, right? I don't think so. What? Who, who do you think it is? Robin Williams is great in this. And I think, and we'll get to the screenplay at a certain point, I'm sure. But he, a lot of times, turns crap into gold. Uh-huh. Uh, but I think it has to be Minnie Driver, who is like a revelation in this movie. She's great. This is also the only way that I actually know who Minnie Driver is. Okay, so Minnie Driver, Minnie Driver is just killing it in this movie. Yes. She's amazing. The camera loves her. Um, she's maybe playing two boys make themselves a girlfriend for a movie. Right. Yeah. But she's doing it really well, and she's since I'm a dumb man myself, she totally wins me over. Did Minnie Driver kind of disappear after this movie? Like Yeah, she had a she had like a indie breakout movie before this, um, which I totally remember the title of. It's you guys don't oh, I can't think of it right I'm now. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. That's very embarrassing for me. Um and then like sort of starred in movies for a little bit. She is the love interest in Gross Point Blank from nineteen ninety seven. That's Mini Driver is a name that growing up I just heard and I was like, that's a really good name. Yeah. Mini Driver. And I never knew who it was. I always assumed that it was a much older woman. Like I thought like when I was or a much kid, shorter driver. Yeah, like she was like, <laughs> like I thought that she was perhaps like a uh contemporary of like Meryl Streep. <laughs> the same way that I did with uh I guess because Minnie is a pretty old that's like an old lady yeah, name. Yeah, that's like an old lady name. And if, for some reason her name always made me think of driving Miss Daisy. Uh-huh. So I was like, yeah, it's Minnie Driver. I guess because Driver. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, you can see how that my mind... That pretty simple. You can see how my mind works. <laughs> the thing is, too, is that she came to fame in a movie in the 90s with Chris O'Donnell that I will remember at some point as the Uggo. She was like the beat chick in the back of the classroom yeah. who uh, never gets any boys. And so the whole movie is like this whole take off your glasses and sort of like how Lily Taylor like starred in Dogfight. Uh, you're not uh, like normal hot. Yeah. But in this movie, she is the most gorgeous person I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. yeah. And I think going back to what you said, Greg, about the two boys ideal, I think that if this was like a flatter actress, if it was someone who just like did what's on the page, it would have been offensive. But because yes. she brings all of this starlight to it, I think that it is the it's it sucks when she or Robin are not on the screen. That's I couldn't decide if I loved this character or if I just loved Minnie Driver. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. But and I think I just love Minnie Driver because this character <laughs> if it was if it you're right if it was played any flatter people would respond to this role like they did the latter half of Zoe Deschanel's entire career. Circle of Friends was the name. Oh of yeah. Yes, I remember that. Yeah. I just of course. Did, I just think you guys didn't. Um the, if if it was going to be anybody else that we talked about for the MVP. It would have to be Matt Damon, right? I but don't think neither so. one of you no, went there. Matt at Damon all. was fine. I think he's fine at times and bad at times. Yeah, yeah. I th- I think he is. He's got a lot to do occasionally, but and he, when we have these awards, sorry to interrupt, but it's it's pound for pound, right? It's yeah. like you can't, oh yeah, it's it's not whoever gets the most screen time. Sorry, right. go ahead. Yeah, no, he like he has enough to do, but he's at his best when he's like a little smarmy. But sometimes he just goes way over the top with it. And then whenever he has to be like emotional, I, I don't know if it's because Matt Damon is just doing that voice and uh-huh. has Matt Damon's look. Or if Wait, it's, the voice from Team America? Yeah. <laughs> Matt Damon. Matt Damon. Oh, what do, you, what do you want me to say, huh? That, that this isn't a surgery scar? Yeah. What, what? And I get how like Kevin Costner's accent in Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves might come in and out as it goes on. Like, he's not a great actor, but I get it. Uh-huh. The fact that Matt Damon, born in Southie, right. his yeah. accent comes in and out is crazy. Okay, like, I don't know anything about the accents from this area, except to say that in the movie, they all felt really painfully bad 
Yeah. And they're both from Boston, right? They hit the fuck's heart. Yeah. Everybody was like, fat. But yeah, other yeah. than that. It, it, it just reminded me of like people who, like when you would see people who weren't from Baltimore on The Wire, uh-huh. like their acting reminded me of that. And I think it's just because like Ben Affleck and uh, Matt Damon are not great actors. Definitely yeah. not at this point. No. And definitely not. I thought Ben Affleck is, he has way less to do and is way worse. Would you say he's yeah. the LVP? Yeah, I think so. No, I mean, the LVP is the assistant of the professor. Tom, no. no. Tom, Tom is the MVP. You know. No, no. no. Listen, listen. He Ryan does is, so much with so little. There's so many times in this movie where the professor will say something and Tom will not even be in focus on the fucking camera. Dude. And he will just be like, oh, no, that guy's running away. Like, he delivers his lines as if he is a robot. Okay, I, I, th- I think this for Matt Damon, too. Matt Damon's portrayal, I think, is a little better than you think, Taylor, because I think... In part, he's a young, a young guy, almost a boy. And, so it's not his fault, and so it's not his fault because he is kind of doing all this bluster, and that's yeah. part of the portrayal. Is this is this kid who tries to act so cool? Uh, but I gotta say, Tom, you have to remember about Tom. He's like the proto cuck man. He's like the OG cuck from back in the day. We wouldn't even know for like twenty years what we should call Tom. But now we do. We've achieved that. It's so, like, every time that he sees his, like, that weird relationship with, like, the professor and Matt Damon. Mary Ann. Yeah. Like, he's, like, putting his arm around him. He's like, ah, you're great. And the look on fucking Tom's face every time. Like, it's just so dejected. There's a point where uh, Tom finally, like, nuts up to talk to Matt Damon. He's like, you're very special and he likes you. And (laughs) that's something that you should always cherish because I didn't get that. And then... uh, Professor Gerbot or whatever walks yeah. in. He's like, Tom, get us coffee. He's like, okay, I will do that. Yeah, all right, yeah. Throws smoke pellets on the ground. That is the weakest moment in that guy's Fucking entire Tom. life. But real quick, I do want to talk about who I think is the true LVP, and it is Stellan Skarsgård. And I think it's a writing thing and an acting thing. I'm almost positive there's uh, a language learning thing going on. Uh-huh. Like This is very early in his American movie career. But his everything he does, is so unnatural, so try hard. Oh, yeah. The character makes no sense from scene to scene as far as what motivations are. And unlike Minnie Driver, he does nothing to solve the problem. In like two scenes, he's Irish. (laughs) And and I was was confused. Yeah, he said top of the morning to you a lot. Because like this, because the the character puts on some voices every now and then like, oh, come claim thine prize or whatever. But like in two separate scenes where it seems like he's not putting on a voice, he just talks with an Irish accent but nowhere else in the movie. There's a scene where uh, one of his female, important female students comes up Oof. and says, hey, uh, so doctor, like, we can't wait for Monday. And he's like, hey, Janice, it's Saturday <laughs> unless you want to have a drink later. And like, it's What the fuck awful. is that? It, a, that interaction is terrible. Uh-huh. Yeah, that is super creepy <laughs> and, and B, weird. his delivery is god-awful. Okay, this leads me to one of my questions about the movie, which is, this gets the young generation. I feel like this gets Matt Damon. Does it get the older generation? Because it is about two different generations, but these old men who are like basically at the end of their lives and they're not as amazing as they probably could have been. Sort of predicting how Matt and Ben will be 30 years (laughs) from now. And then a young guy who is maybe not living up to his own promise. But it was written by two very young dudes. And I feel like they're kind of trying to at times guess at what it feels like to be an older person. That is definitely what it feels like. And they guess by speechifying. Like, yes. They guess with no subtlety. They guess with, like, I think this is 
all of the old people's speech bar if I can have at any given time. Like, this this movie does not trust the viewer in the slightest. You can tell why Kevin Smith was such a proponent of this movie when he uh, first saw yeah. it. It's like, just just say everything exactly what you're feeling. Just and say it, what the point of your character is. Which, I feel like that's the entire reason they're, they're like, this guy should go to therapy. Right. <laughs> so that they yeah. can talk a lot. You cannot have movies or TV shows take place in therapy because you have no choice but to not be subtle. They, yeah. they ran for it. Well, yeah. I feel like, wasn't this a move that a lot of like pop culture just happened to be making at this time because yeah. it really is it helps so much you have the character say what they're feeling about every incident in their life i've then, heard a lot of people talk shit on lorraine brocco's character in the sopranos uh-huh. and i haven't gone back and watched but a lot of people say it's the worst part of the show but that show had like the whole like isn't it crazy that a mobster would be in therapy like there is that like irony about yeah. it. this is just we put kids in therapy because we don't know how to write character that well yeah and this is also 97 was like peak like right before we figured out like therapy's good so everyone's like therapy i would never go to therapy therapy <laughs> therapy's for for freaks we were all as a society closer to matt damon in the beginning of the movie yeah. Like, just making fun of any therapy. And now, in 2019, we're all like, we all should and have... If you're not in therapy, what is wrong with you? We all should have been in therapy the entire time. <laughs> but maybe that, in part, I think what happened is because they didn't, like, properly write the two older guys, I think Robin Williams comes in and saves his yes. character. Yes. And I think literally puts stories from his life in the character's right. mouth. And does a great job of interpreting it. And Skarsgård, it's just like, he doesn't know, there's nothing there for him to do, and he doesn't know how to bring... He didn't know that, like, when you get hired on a movie, you have to do half of the work as the character. Because it's the same thing like you guys were saying about Minnie Driver. Like, they made the characters who they were, and then sort of, like, acted really around these big speeches. Yeah, like, Skarsgård is just, like, a cardboard cutout of a guy, whereas Robin Williams, like, you can see, like, there's... He's bringing, like, real pain. And, like, I think... I don't know if we knew the innards of Robin Williams' actual life at this point. I know that we did not. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, now, looking back, it's like, oh, this dude is, like, just pouring all of his entire life into this, and it shows, and it's fucking great to watch. But say what you want about the, the Boston Four of the dudes hanging out. There is a natural back and forth that, like, when the two those two adults are sitting at the table with sandwiches in front of them, there is not. It is yeah. point, counterpoint, point, counterpoint the entire time. Okay, there's four of those dudes that hang out. One of them is Casey Affleck. Yes. I didn't realize until the middle of watching this movie this time that they don't play brothers. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. It was when I mean, he, they do, but they don't. It was when he was like, don't jack off in my mom's room. And I was like, oh, but don't they have the same mom? And then there's, like, a couple more things, and it's like, oh, okay, I guess they're not supposed to be brothers. Yeah. They just look exactly the same, have a total, like, brother relationship. That's the thing, is they have a brother relationship. They call each other bro and brother a lot. (laughs) And Affleck, which is weird. Yeah, but they are not brothers. And then there's a fourth member of the crew who just never says anything in the entire movie. Well, it's clear that if you have a Boston foursome, uh, everyone has to fight a little, but you also need, like, the silent just kick-ass guy. Just really big, he, quiet He's guy. the muscle. He shows up just to annoy Casey Affleck <laughs> so that Casey Affleck will go, listen, make fun of me like 14 more times and I'm going to go off. I swear. I'll never, I'll never do anything. I promise I'll never do anything. Well, we have to move on to our Patreon-only segment, which is going to be the Pop Filter Hall of Fame, guys. So if you're not hearing that, you're not going to know who the newest entrants into the Pop Filter Hall of Fame are. But if you are a Patreon listener... We will see you in just one moment. Guys, I have asked you to join me here in my richly appointed office. 
because I'm hoping that you can make a little movie magic for me. Oh, I'll make some magic for you. A noted Hollywood bigwig in charge of greenlighting movies. Greenlight. Greenlight. And because of Movie of the Year, you got to take over a studio. Yeah. And me and Taylor are still pitching our way to work for you. There's Yeah. There's this really obscure thing called clout. Mm-hmm. And apparently I have a whole bunch of it because, as you guys know, I'm the host of the show. Mm-hmm. And I've become very adept at pitting people against each other. And I've used that to just sort of rise up through the ranks of Hollywood and now I have my thumb on the pulse of the Hollywood money machine. Oh. So what I want you to do, guys, is make me a movie that is The Saint meets Irma Vep. Okay, so here we go. All right, Irma Vep, as we all know, is a French film about a Chinese actress who goes and plays herself in a recreation of a vampire story. Sure. We all know we that. We all know that. We all are That's aware all of something. that movie. I'm giving you a point, but it's just because you're going to confirm that we all know that about it. And it's a great premise, Taylor, but I'm sorry, I'm not interested because you didn't mention Val Kilmer. Of course. Did you mean who, to mention Val Kilmer? You know, I was going to get to that as soon as I thought about what The Saint is, a thing that I do Okay, know. so you you know what Irma Vep is. Yes. <laughs> But you don't know Welcome what... Welcome to Taylor, ladies and gentlemen. You don't know what this saint is. Yeah, yes, that's the life that I've lived. You were like... You are a genetically engineered hipster. So what I'm thinking is that uh, Val Kilmer is the New Orleans quarterback. Yes. But he wants to star in a vampire movie. Correct. So he goes and gets on this production, but what's going on? There's real-life murders that's happening around. Are Whoa. they vampires? Who knows? Or are they uh, like the opponents of the New Orleans Saints? The Boston Vampires? The Boston <laughs> Vampires. The Atlanta Falcons slash Vampires? Yes. Blown in from Boston. One thing is going to sell me on this. When I'm thinking the Saint, we have to be talking about epic disguises. Nobody said anything about disguises yet. Okay, well, obviously, we're going to bring back the full leather bodysuit from Irma Vep. Uh-huh. That thing is going right in there. But this time... Also, Val Kilmer has that one face where he looks like Julia Louis-Dreyfus. That's Irma Veep. He's got that one down. <laughs> yeah, and then mustaches. Everyone has mustaches. Everyone. Well, one thing I liked about The Saint was uh, some of the characters that he just he like did his disguise to look like were just clearly Val Kilmer that they had also put makeup on to make Val Kilmer look like that, and he was just standing in a different part of the scene. Have you guys heard the pitch for The Saint 2, where it's just all fat Val Kilmer? All fat Val Kilmer. He can be any fat person at any time. God damn. Well, I'm going to give Taylor the point for that, because he knew so much about Irma Vep. I watched it in a bar one time. Okay. Just curiouser and curiouser. Okay, so uh, please make me a movie that is a combination of Good Burger. Oh, love Good Burger. Welcome to Good Burger, home of the Good Burger. Can I mix that with the full Monty? (laughs) All right. Wonderful. So we're going to take a step from Good Burger, and we're going to go to Great Burger. Uh So it's going to be the Great Burger, and every there's only one thing on the menu. It's the Full Monty Great Burger, and that is when somebody comes out, they take off their clothes, and there's a burger wrapped around their dick. And then you you eat it. Absolutely. How about this for a tagline? The only thing on the burger is everything. (laughs) That's the Full Monty. Yeah, Yeah, that's the Full Monty. We're also, our slogan's going to be, make burgers great again. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. 
think a lot of people would be very <laughs> yeah. enthusiastic about Cause, that. Because, you know, burgers, they've really gone downhill. And for a long time, we've only had good burgers. Yeah. Now, great burgers. We need great burgers. Across the street, they're going to put up a, a huge, like, full Monty, like, knockoff store that's uh, going to be real corporate. Oof. We're going to jump in there, and we're going to dodgeball them. We're going to beat them at their own game. Watch out. Taylor goes over there to give them the business. And don't you know, there's a little romantic connection there. Oh, no. The next thing you know, you got the mom and pop burlesquery. The one across the, th- across the way, you're in love with the executive who's running that. Oh, How's this going to work? Star-crossed lovers. Oh, a tale as old as time. How it- <laughs> we forgot to put the star-crossed lovers in Irma Vep Saint. So let's remember that for next time. But uh, <laughs> the most important thing when you order a burger is that uh, you say, like, oh, this just has ketchup and mustard. I ordered mayonnaise. And then you're like, oh, take the burger. Wait, put it back. Take the burger. Put it back. Do that a couple times. And now the burger is covered in mayonnaise, and you have that for yourself. Oh, I love a good mayonnaise burger. So <laughs> this is a joint movie and actual burger restaurant. Oh, the pop-ups venture. are going to pop up. We're going to pop up like fucking it all over the, the place. The pop-ups are going to be popping off. Oh, well, let me just say, I'm gonna, definitely going to green light that. I'm going to give you guys, I'm willing to give you guys upwards of $135 to make one of these. We burgers. could so, do it. We could do it. Yeah. <laughs> Any more than that is when we freak out. Yeah. The, the meat for the burgers comes from my dick, so it's free. All right. V- very good. You know what? I'm going to give Ryan a point for that. That for makes that, sense. That horrible thing that, that you did. That definitely sent. That makes sense. So, guys, here's the deal. Everybody keeps talking about 1997's I Know What You Did Last Summer. Of course. Would you agree with that, that everybody keeps talking about people that? People can't I, stop talking about it. I've, I've been putting in earplugs just for that movie. Yeah, people talk about it so much and at such length that it's starting to get really creepy. Like someone just wailing at the top of their lungs about I Know What You Did Last Summer for hours on the corner. It's not a good look. But because of this, we, we are going to remake the movie. Of course, yeah. <laughs> something oh, going, something the time going is now. On. Yeah. Uh, but you need to work Bean in there. Okay, so... Bean. Here's the Bean. thing. Mr. Bean. Mr. Right. Bean. Obviously, it's the movie Bean about Bean from Ender's Game. <laughs> Wait, He's, is he in like a, a goofish English dude? Yes. He's a goofish English dude who's growing up into a full-sized English dude. Oh, no. The right, full and that is Ender's Game. This is obviously called "I Know Where You've Been Last Summer." <laughs> Absolutely, <laughs> and uh, th- this time the murderer he kills people with a whole big ass can of lima beans. And I love the fact that like we're all trying to figure out who the killer is, but it's a guy in a yellow raincoat and hat with a giant turkey on his head. So yeah. it's pretty clear. <laughs> He's just running into stuff, falling over. The final girl for this movie is going to be Sean Bean inside of a wig. And I, when I say inside of a wig, I do mean his not, entire body is inside of a wig. He's not wearing a wig. He will be shrunk down. So yes. there's like cousin it situation? Yes, yeah. he has a cousin it situation. Head to toe, sort of like a hairy condom that he just wrapped himself Harry in. Hairy condom junior. <laughs> Absolutely <laughs> ensconced in hair. We all know what Bean is. Guys, what we need to make a connection here between is everybody loves Demi Moore. Mm-hmm. Of course. And so, obviously, they love the movie G.I. Jane. Of course. But could we mix it up with a little Chasing Amy action? Oh, this works so well. All right, so G.I. Jane, she's a lesbian in the military. Don't Ask, Don't Tell is back in effect for some reason because this is not coming out in 1997, but 2019. Okay. But 
What are you going to do? Is it, is it because they act, Trump gets confused and yeah. thinks that don't ask, don't tell and was a policy that Obama came up with? Let us remind you, Studio Head, that we do not have the power to release a movie in 97. No. That's not something we can do. Not yet. Not so yet. now in G.I. Jane's uh, squadron, back I believe. Back in G.I. Jane times. Back in G.I. Jane's time, uh, a new girl joins the crew. But she's like an G.I. Joan? G.I. Joan! And but she's an open lesbian, and you're like, oh no, she can't do that. She's gonna get kicked out of the military. But then Don't Ask Hotel repealed again. Yeah. And but now G.I. Jane's sh- shoved herself in. She's got a boyfriend. What is she gonna do? Uh, We've gotta make G.I. Jane a lesbian again. I, I I think a big part of it too is that like she's in the Navy SEALs, right? Yeah. And so she says, like, that this is who I am. And then the army comes over and, like, they flirt for, like, 10 minutes. And then she's like, oh, now I'm back in the army. Now, now I'm going to do the army. Yeah. That's going to show up with a tank for my second date. <laughs> so she experiments with the Air Force for just a little bit. I don't know if the time works out on this, but could we have Christian Stewart as the as G.I. Joe? Y- you could have just said, can we have Christian Stewart? And I would have said yes. You just would have said yes right yes. away. In, in any situation. Well, yes. And you want to do that over Joan Cusack? That's how you get a point. Oh, yeah. Joan Cusack, also. They can swap off like an Olsen twin situation. Listen, however they want to do it. That kind of stuff is their business, and I don't want to pry. I don't want to be that guy. So, guys, of course, everyone loves Jungle to Jungle. Of course. Okay? Uh, A movie that I think handled uh, indigenous cultures with a lot of care. Absolutely. And a lot of love. And so then what I want to do is combine it with um, with the Bruce Willis assassin thriller the jackal. Jackal to jackal. Jackal to jackal. Well, no, no, no. We're passing up two jungle, f- two four jungle. <laughs> two jungle, two four jungle. Two, two jungle, two four jungle. <laughs> so this is, this is a letter that Bruce Willis, plain Bruce Willis, writes to a jungle. And this is how he, this is how he writes letters. He says, two jungle, two four jungle. Um, why don't you have as many jackals? Yeah. And the, the jungle's like, this guy's got a point. They bring him to the jungle and he's going to like uh, spearhead this whole bringing jackals to the jungle thing. Yeah, and the, then he gets there, and the ju- and then the jungle's like, "Wait a minute, there are a lot of jackals in the jungle." And he's like, hey, hey, "Did it?" And then the, and then the B plot pretty is pretty good. Uh, Bruce Willis. B, the B plot is Bruce Willis does a bunch of war crimes against indigenous peoples. <laughs> I mean, immediately. Yeah, like and before he's even out of the airport. Yeah. While the jungle is trying to deal with all those excess jackals. He's but just out there doing war crimes like crazy. And I'm then, also thinking musical comedy, though. Oh, absolutely! And then he steals. Yeah, and then he steals a little kid, and they do an Annie number back in New York City, and everyone's like, "Ah, oh, what's this Annie?" And he's like, "Oh, I killed a bunch of his family, pretty much all his family." Okay. I, okay. Annie. I just want to say to all uh, kids of all countries, if Bruce Willis flies in and says, hey, let's go do an Annie number in New York City, yeah. you say no. Yeah. You do not go with him. And then we keep in the fact that they blow gun in t- inside of a limo because that's classic. That's just classic. Yeah, we'll leave that in there. And then post credits, is that something we can pitch now? Yeah, we could do that right now. Okay, so two jungle, four jungle, Tokyo Drift. That is going to be the biggest movie we've ever done. We introduce the jungle to jackal universe. <laughs> the rock shows up. Well, I'm definitely, I'm going to, I am lighting up this green light, as you guys can see. Green this, light! This bright green light behind me. And props to Greg for, like, the first studio head who has an actual green light that yeah, he turns well, on Yeah, well, I get off. very excited. We used to have a gong, but it was, it was too loud for people. When we come back, we're going to do some more discussing this sweet movie. Regardless of how well it holds up as a film, something about goodwill hunting clearly endures as it continues to be consistently referenced, quoted, and parodied, can we put our thumb on what that thing is? I think it's just that so much of this movie is so weird. 
Yeah. Like it's it, like it's such a weird like the specifically the thing that I think is most quoted from this movie is how do you like them apples? Which is this is the weirdest setup and punchline yes. of any joke of so all time. So the only way that I've ever heard how do you like them apples is in reference apple to this movie. Yeah. Is that a phrase outside of this movie? It, yes. it, it would not yeah. have worked if it was not a phrase outside yeah. of this movie. Right, because it, the only way that I know it is from this movie. And I was like, that doesn't make any fucking sense. And do you guys think that this is like a victim of its own fame? Like, had this not have blown up, it would have been like a cool quaint scene i i think it is like a beastie boys situation where it was supposed to be kind of a lame thing that he said because the way it's played he goes hey do you like apples and the guy on the other side of the glass is like what and he's like well i got a number how, how do you like them apples to which like, his group is like oh! yeah but oh! it is very clearly played as this is like if you have to make someone say the thing right that you're yeah. responding to and then they don't even say it they're like wait what uh I don't know. I guess apples are okay. And this That's, is hot on the he- <laughs> apples. Are, are you okay? okay? Are you okay? <laughs> uh, this is hot on the heels of uh, Skyler saying we should go get coffee, and he's like, "Well, that's pretty arbitrary. Just yes. go get caramels, right?" And like, yes. he is not cool or smooth okay. at all. That is an underrated line in this movie because that is very much the movie being like, "No, he's a stupid kid. Uh, he's yeah. never even smelled the Sistine Chapel." <laughs> All right? This guy doesn't know what, a, what life is like. What an artistic fool. He's <laughs> never smelled the Sistine Chapel. He doesn't know what it's like to really love a Subway sandwich and then drop it on the ground before you get to eat it. He doesn't know what it's like to live an entire life where he might become part of the the Proud Boys and then <laughs> eat at a Subway. <laughs> but I think it's one of the uh, billions of ways that uh, this movie is not sure about how to handle their characters because we are supposed to think Will is cool. We're supposed yeah. to think they're all cool. There are times when he is clearly not. The apples one, I think, was supposed to be not, and it turned into one. Uh, but the caramel thing, and then uh, Sean, his therapist, saying, uh, you may have been laid once or twice. And he's like, no. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> uh, I've been laid before. Thank you. I have oh, done sex with a lot of different people. Okay? Did, did Skylar pop Will Sherry? I think there's a very good chance of that. Because he's... Mean, He's from Southie, and I just assume they have sex all the time. It's just a big orgy. But, uh-huh. like, he's also the kind of guy who, like, won't open himself up even for... He's the opposite of Chucky in every way. Is there any other woman in this whole movie? Uh, There's the one that Chucky screams at, saying, like, hey, why don't you give me that sweet, gross pussy? And she's like, fuck you. Oh, like, yeah. Oh. I wouldn't even want that anyway. Yeah. She's like, you were just hollering at her. And then there was uh, that, that one girl who the guy's cat call before they go beat up the other guy. Uh-huh. And th- I think those are the those are the women in the movie. And the, yeah. Oh, and the, and the students that are very uncomfortable around the professor. Who, who cannot oh, yeah. even flirt with a student without like laying, lounging as hard as he can on a couch. I've never seen a person in any manner of media, like Caligula could not <laughs> lounge that well. That dude, he was lounging in a chair that is unloungeable. And isn't but, she like sitting on the ground in yeah. front of him? And like with his face of like, what the fuck is happening? But to be fair, Tom always behind him, just standing there waiting for the conversation to be over, <laughs> waiting to cover up some sort of weird thing. Fucking Tom. This movie does a good job, I think, of showing how creepy it is for a professor to hit on his student, but to do it continually. And oh, when yeah. they're like, we wanted help with solving the math problem. And he's like, you're a dork. Go on a date with me, dork. <laughs> like, come you on. Know, I'm going to use that as my strategy next time. Next time someone says, hey, we want help. I'm going to be like, ah, you're a dork. You know what you do? Go on a date with me. You put on a weird, crazy hat. Oh. And then you walk into the bar. I tried the hats and thing. just walk right up to a lady and be like, hey, you're not as hot as your friend, but you're still pretty hot. 
when you say a weird, crazy hat, you mean uh, sombrero made of tortilla chip with Dude, a cheese anything, mo, right? Anything that catches the eye, anything that when you walk in, everyone looks right at you and just goes, that is a really squirrely looking fuck. I remember <laughs> growing up when I did, this movie was just nonstop quoted as if it was like Borat and Austin you, Powers and Ace Ventura rolled into one. You know what I think it is? It's the fucking Boston accent. Because that's the thing that those others have in common is they have a weird voice that they're doing. Everyone in this movie is doing the weird voice of having a Boston accent. You're like, oh, my boy's wicked smart. Like, that's a stu- That's a dumb thing to say in general. But yeah. if you say it in that accent, everyone's It sort like, of allows you to say any dumb thing you can think of. Yeah. You, just, you can just say whatever. And you're like, okay, that's kind of fun. They but- say the R word a couple of times. But I think they, for the most part, steered clear of how much... Yeah. Those guys oh, would yeah. probably say that. They steer clear of that. There's still a couple of like latent homophobic jokes that yeah. that throw around in there. But, Robin but Williams says like that would be enough money to pay for your sex. Yeah, challenge. which was a weird dig. But yeah. You got to admit, like way less than we thought we would, given yeah. the year and the city. And he's not supposed to be perfect. Yeah, but it's but it's still like okay. But, but like, what would Garp say about that? <laughs> right? Garp would be like, "Hey, buddy, don't say that about yeah. my good friend Roberta." But yeah, you're right. It, for 97, in, in Boston, not bad. I think there's a real, like, underrated element to the enduring thing, too. Like, the reason that we could not get enough of this movie then and all the way up to now is we were we were just so, like, obsessed with the fact that two friends yeah. start as friends who are still friends. And, like, it's almost like the MCU. Like, I remember when they would be in movies afterwards where we would say, like, why is... Uh, Ben Affleck not in this Matt Damon movie. Yeah. Like, yeah. we just could not... Like, Mindy Kaling came to fame because of their relationship. Like, they, we just love the fact they're friends. Yeah. How many movies have they been in together? Besides Kevin Smith movies? Yeah, because it, it, it feels like they do spend a lot of time apart now. And they were awful in Dogma. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they they. I guess everyone was everyone is pretty bad in Dogma. They were awful as the angels in Dogma, but then at the end they played themselves. Or was that Jane Silent Bob Strike Back? That was Jane Silent Bob Strike Back. Goodwill Hunting too. Like when they're like worried about what they are actually going to do with these apples. That was not bad. I saw. We all went to see together a very long time ago. Jane Silent Bob two. Do you have any recollection of any part of that movie anymore? I remember Mike uh, Mark Hamill. Yeah, Mark Hamill is like a. Big fisted man. Yeah, but who kind of had like Good a bit. lightsaber. Good bit. Rosario Dawson said that uh, under the right circumstance, it was okay to go ass to mouth, which I still think about because like, that, that has to be a meta joke. That has to be a joke about how awful, how, stu- how many stupid things female characters are made to say that couldn't possibly actually be true, but just come from a man. But honestly, that movie feels like a fever dream. I think the weird thing about it too, like, like sort of summarizing all of this stuff, the friendship and the dialogue and the friends hanging out in the movie is every year has one of these movies. Um, Like the year before this was Swingers. And for some reason, this year's movie just got nominated for a bunch of awards. Yeah. Like if we did Swingers, we would say like, that was from a time. Yeah. That's a movie from a time. But like this one just got Oscar noms. Yeah. This movie just even in style, like all the other movies we've watched so far have like, a very specific style. This movie's style is, it's 1997. <laughs> well, I mean, you said it right up front. This is a movie-ass movie. It's, like, a mo- it's a movie-ass movie. You know what I think it is in part two? I think people just really, really, really like main characters that are so incredibly smart and who then spend a lot of time 
like taking down people who pretend like they're smart. Oh yeah, because then I, I think the most of the audience is like, yeah, smart people act like they're smart, but Will Hunting's way smarter. But I, I remember having that feeling, and like that guy is not just a bully from what he says, but like he's got the long hair. And oh yeah, like everything dude. about him is awful. And is that guy Mayhem from the car commercials? No, <laughs> it, oh, looks, it he, looks just like him. He is Mayhem's older brother from Oz. Ah, okay, that's weird. Um. But when we're watching that scene, or when I was watching it this time, he was like, oh, you're just repeating shit from books you read. Like, I'm about to do. Yeah. Like, at yeah. one point, he references the page number of the book, yeah. and <laughs> he is not original. He has just read, like, two or three more books than the blonde guy. Yeah. And I guess that's what uh, Robert Williams' character is saying to him. Like, you, all you know is between the, the covers of a book, and that, like, I could summarize your whole life that way because you haven't done anything yet you haven't tried anything but the reason that the blonde guy backs down is not because matt damon's smarter but because he says he quotes all these pages of books and then says also i'm gonna go fucking kick the shit out of you right now yeah. and that's yeah. when the guy says you know what i'm not gonna do that with a southie kid i'm See, gonna I, get murdered i think that's when we're supposed to really see will hunting as like the everything like wow you're gonna like mentally defeat him and then also you're going to challenge him to physical combat and he won't even rise to that occasion. So Whoa. all of the part you have all the parts that I think a man should have when I'm young and watching this movie. Yeah. yeah. I do I am upset with how much I identified with Will Hunting. Not the like super genius part. Yeah, we know. But just the like I grew up in a like more like non-rich area uh-huh. and like had a lot of those experiences from like a working class family and I was like the person who was like the smart one. Yeah. I'm like, stop fucking telling me what to do in my life. Yeah. I'll do whatever the fuck I want. I don't have, I don't have any stuff that I got to achieve. Yeah, fuck you. Everybody's like, you got to do it for all of us. Yeah, I'm like, no, fuck you. I'm going to go study philosophy. How's that? Taylor, How do you like them apples? You got to finish a book for all your kinfolk. <laughs> <laughs> we, nope. know. we started it 100 years ago. You just got to get to the end. Just Tell us how it ends, all right? <laughs> nope, but I think that not is gonna do it. I think that is the big twist of the movie. If we want to go back to a much better, like one of the best movies of all time, Million Dollar Baby, her family was like, No, you have to do all this for us. That's how most movies work. Yeah. And here he was like, No, I am not going I want to stay at this low level. You know, I want yeah. to stay blue collar. And I think that's the most interesting thing the movie does. Oh yeah. One hundred percent. But then he does drive out to go see mini driver right so the, it's and a compromise she, where it's not stain but it's not nsa yeah it's see about a girl but is she going to what's their relationship going to be like because is she going to be like do construction out here or is she going to be like hey live up to your potential out here yeah yeah i a what's she going to say when he shows up other than what the fuck you were super shitty to me that's yeah. twice motherfucker yeah yeah uh but yeah i I assume that he, because he took the step of taking that job originally, I assume he's going out there and he's going to do something similar. Because that dude, he can do whatever the fuck he, he can wants. do whatever he wants. Like, he could even start a podcast. But it's also important to remember that many drivers, like, also 19 or 20, you know? Yeah. So yeah. she is, like, in this world is open, Matt Damon's hot sort of realm. Yeah, so then how much, like, how much of a relationship might they have? At some point, she's going to be like... You want you either have to make something out of your life, or I'm going to go find somebody who wants to make something out of his life. I think that's the point of this sequel that will never happen, which is it's not they'll live happily forever, but forever. But uh, will will be okay when she dumps his ass? Yeah, because right now he's not. He won't be. He'll. It's like oh, I'm abandoned again. But will he be able to be like oh, that's cool. People move on. 
Yeah. And then, like, go find a new girlfriend. Yeah, right. Because is it really going to be the end of the world if he met someone, got infatuated with her, they had a yeah. great relationship, but just didn't go all the way? And then you have to go along with your life. I mean, he's kind of being very melodramatic yeah. to be like, what if the, a girl hurts me? But I do have to add in there, though, that probably all would be his fault. Like, yeah. that actually is your fault. Yeah. The final message of the movie is just be emotionally well. Take care of yourself. <laughs> just be well. Speed round. Well, you know what that genuine sound effect means. We have entered into the speed round. Which of the mini monologues in the movie holds up, if any do? Are any of them absolute stinkers? Let's go through these one at a time. So there is Dr. Sean's Carlton Fisk, uh, where he he had tickets to the game. Carlton Fisk hit that home run, where he's gesturing that, you know, for it to stay fair and then will says to him you know i can't believe you were there he said i wasn't i was with my wife i think that one's okay that i think that's a great one that's i think that rides the line of is that because it's about baseball it's about baseball (laughs) and that was actual baseball that we saw in that but uh that's in the middle of um super overwritten and just improvising yeah Yeah. they feel natural there but in like a good movie way because they are really the two dudes in that scene are talking about the game but it doesn't break the reality in quite the same way and i love how matt damon stands up he's like he's standing up telling the story i have to get up too and we're just gonna like hit elbows at each other because that's how dudes talk and see in a way the red Sox have kind of ruined that scene because Mm -hmm. that's like the best moment at the time of the making this movie that's the best moment in like boston history for like a hundred years uh, now they've won the World Series three times yeah. since then. Pfft, that's who even cares. Carlton Fisk, suck my fisk. All right, uh, how about Sean talking about the smell of the Sistine Chapel? You're just a kid; you don't know anything. That one, I think, is probably the best monologue. It, just, there was five. Like, cut that one in half. Yeah. Like, you've never smelled the Sistine Chapel. Oh, cool point. And then, yeah. like, ten minutes go by, and he has the, all these examples. And I have to say, that's another moment where I thought the writers of the script sounded really young. At that time, the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel looked like shit. It was all, like, black. They still, they still hadn't cleaned it up just yet. Sistine Chapel's okay, but it felt just like they were trying to reach for, like, what's a good example of mm-hmm. something? Yeah. I wondered if either of them had even seen the Sistine Chapel. Uh, how about Ben Affleck's the I'll Kill You, you know, best part of my day, every day is when I... This one's cheesy, but works for me. Yeah, I sort of like the movie magic of it. I, I had to try and get over the fact that I've only ever heard that parodied so yeah. many times by people. I would have liked this one more if the movie, the, the all the times he goes and knocks on the door, if Ben Affleck did something to indicate that he was really right. hoping his friend wouldn't show up. But I watched so closely for that. And they never, they should do something to tip that that's what he's feeling. So there's nothing that builds it up. And then also once the speech happens, it completely deflates the ending. Like, there is no, like, uh, tension in what is going on. Because we're like, oh, he's doing that thing that you said you wanted him to do. Okay, cool. Very cool. He did the thing. Uh, How about Will doing his, like, the repercussions of joining the CIA? I just shoot my friend. Oh, this is some young screenwriting Kevin Smith bullshit. This is early stand-up, early, like, uh, I don't know, like, college did you guys know the world's kind of bullshit? Like, the way it works, it's just kind of, like, bullshit. And have we ever been, like, just like the Chucky thing, have we ever been made to believe that, like, this is a care in his mind at all? About, yeah. like, no. the dangers that we could do by our decisions? No. Like, Except for his general antipathy for the world as it's manifested in never trying. He never tries because he doesn't think there's anything good in the world, really. And so... Yeah, maybe that mirrors that. I like the fact that when we pull in, he's at the interview, and when we pull out, he's in the 
therapy office. Yeah. So we're not sure exactly how much happened. But this is so clearly fucking two 23-year-olds thinking that yeah. they know how the world works. How about Will, the like history lesson bar fight? Read the wrong books. Uh, I kind of like it just because it's very overwritten. Yeah. But I feel like the point is still a pretty good point that not a whole lot of movies still make. Which like, is what, you think? That, like... No ponytails. Yes, no ponytails. And also, just reading books and, like, the people who try and beat other people with their intelligence are usually just reading other books yeah. from other people and quoting what they've learned. Yeah. I mean, like, well, actually, I think this... Yeah. And like that's just a thing that like any any time you find the guy who at the party who thinks that he's smarter than everyone else, he's just telling you whatever he just read an article about or, most recently. Or yeah. it, like in today's day and age, it's uh, listen to a podcast about recently. Like yeah. when I start talking about like my opinions on sports, I'm praying that no one listens to the same sports <laughs> podcast that I listen to. You just listen to the you just listen to read all the pod podcasts. You guys get it. Hey, do you, you guys, guys listen to Trump Inc? No. Okay. Well, good. I got an interesting story. <laughs> That one is Forget also what I just said. That one's also casting too. Like that guy has such a fucking punchable face that we wanted him to just blow up. Like oh, yeah. we were rooting against him so bad. That guy's dad clearly owns a ski school. <laughs> All right, how about uh, the Will Will's? I can't play the piano. If this one reminds me almost of Dirk Diggler. Uh-huh. Yeah. Some people play the piano. I just got a really big dick. Okay. Okay. That, the, I thought the exact same thing. Yeah. Where I was like, oh, this is the one thing. This that is he's his big at. dick. This is his big dick. Is he can do math stuff. I think that they did it better, though, in the... Uh, not better, because this was fucking stupid, too. But when he burns the work that he did, uh, and yeah. Skarsgård goes for it, like that really explained better how, like, I can't tell you how easy this is for me. Yeah. But both are lame. <laughs> I yeah. think both are lame. I, I, but I agree. That one with Skarsgård is better, just because he's like, I wish that you could fucking do this shit, because I don't want to do it, but it's so fucking easy for me. Like, that is such a good... I, I wish I could ever fully actually say that to anyone in uh-huh. my life. That's what I did with my Boy Scout troop when I was a troop leader. I was just like fucking burn shit in front of them. <laughs> you fucking stupid idiot. idiots. This is so easy for me. <laughs> this takes off. a lighter. It's so freaking easy for me. You just have to buy a lighter. What was uh, Casey Affleck doing with doing with that glove? Oh, he jizzed in the glove. Well, no, no, no. See, yeah. And then wore it. He used it for cleanup, and then he carried it around as a trophy. You don't think he fucked the glove? So he did. No. He definitively did not fuck the glove. I don't think that he fucked the glove because I. He it, said he used it for for after. Yes, because here's here's the thing. But you don't. What is he like no, no, no. dabbing at here's the, the jizz thing. with? Ben Affleck says that that's his childhood mint. So yes. it's not a it's not an up to date oiled mint. It's no. not going to be like smooth. Well, he yeah. filled it with vas. No, no, no. But so he just he he jerked off while watching the thing, and then he came into and the glove, and like then catching and, it like it's a fly ball. Yeah, and then and then used it to wipe up, and then he's like, "All right, I'm good to go." But then because he got in trouble, like the guy yelled at him, he's like, "Well, I'm gonna run down." He didn't have time to get rid it, of the glove. No. I think he so put he's the still glo- wearing the glove. He put the mitt across the room and shot at it, and then did the whole Carlton Fisk wave, so it hits the <laughs> glove, and then it made it. Uh, he comes downstairs more out of breath yeah, after jerking dude. off than I have ever done after sex. Like. Like he is. is. I don't know what the weather is. himself, or is like, what's he doing? Is he running in place? Well, like, I think that's why he was wearing the baseball gloves. Yeah, he, he, was, play, he <laughs> was playing a game of baseball while he jerked <laughs> off. Sorry, everyone. I was I had an itch, and I was like, whew. It's really just going to town on it. It's absolutely. I also loved how it showed how poor they were in that time in Boston because one VCR, guys. My house had like two DVD players at that point. And did he leave the tape in there? <laughs> 
Yeah, he didn't come down with a tape, is and that I his, noticed is that, that. Is that Ben Affleck's mom's porno? And yeah, did yeah. he hit his mom's porno collection, or does he just bring a tape with him at all times? Maybe he ran home and dropped it off and ran back. And that's, that's why he's why out of breath. He was so out of breath. How well does this movie deal with violence, both the violence that happens before the movie even begins and the violence that we witness? Not well. Not great. Treat it like uh, it's just a thing that happens. It's like commonplace, you mean? Yeah, like it never it never reckons with it in any sort of way, other than like a little bit when they're like, Hey, this it's not your fault. But like they don't address like the violence that he causes at all. One thing is he gets in that fight with Minnie Driver and he like punches the yeah. wall yeah. next to her. That's abusive shit to yes. do. Like, and they never address that's that. That's messed up. Well that and like just him as a person, like we're rooting for a guy this whole time who is like, Hey, pull over. There's a guy who I hate in kindergarten right there. Yeah. And then punch everyone, including the cops. Okay, I had a question about that. But he's really what he's doing is they're harassing a woman, right? Yeah, they like threw something back at a girl. Yeah. And so then because the the movie doesn't really lean on it, but I think it's supposed to be that they give that dude or they give that woman a hard time. And so then he because he's like an avenging Angel, he's gonna go jump yeah. out and beat the shit out. Well, of Well, I th- I think it's both because they had already talked about like we should beat that guy up. I'm like, nah, let's go somewhere else. And then they saw an opportunity again. So, Did like, you guys ever have a situation where someone was like, we're gonna like as a group now, we're gonna do some fighting, and you're like, I really don't want to, and someone was like, you you have to, otherwise, like we're gonna fight you. No, my in my groups, <laughs> Greg, and you remember this? It was we are not going to do some fighting. Yeah, dude. And somebody would say, like, but I really want to. We were like, no, we are definitely not going to. Yeah, if, with us, it was like, if you get in a fight, no one's going to fucking back <laughs> you up, dude. And that guy's got, like, five friends. We were a bunch of big dudes not looking to fight. <laughs> the most confusing thing about the script was, um, was the violence put in there to show what Southie is really like? Or was it there to, like, give us, like, so we'd like the hero more? Because we like how he is... Good I punching. think it was it was to show that he has this violence that's unrectified in his life yeah. and that it pours out of him. Because we got one second of him going too far, like that classic trope of yeah. trying to pull him off and he won't stop punching. Yeah. yeah. I, I think it's there and also just to show like this is of like a the stereotypical low class dude. Like he just yeah. drinks and gets in a bunch of fights. Like does fisticuffs. Because fighting fighting is not a sophisticated thing to do. So then he's getting in fights, and you're like, oh, wait, but he's also good at math? That doesn't check out. How that, incongruous. He is so low class. <laughs> How a low class is How he? How low class is he, Ryan? On the seam of his T-shirts, where like the front sews is the back, there's just tiny little holes all the way down on every single one of his T-shirts. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> These are like $4 T-shirts, Will Hunting. Yeah. You can't go buy another. Well, and he wears one on a date. This is also a dude who he has three lawnmowers in his yard and also like an old tub. Is he squatting? Does he pay rent? Yeah, there's something up with that with his yeah. living situation. Because it's like it, that's a that's like a, a condemned building that he lives in. Yeah, right. That's not a real place that people live in. Like people in the 1830s, poor people in the 1830s, like had better living situations than that. Yeah, yeah, seriously. Like, there's people who would live in Manhattan where their living situation would be they just get strung up, like, on a rope under their armpits. That's a better living situation than his weird squat little p- pad that he had. Also, while you sleep like that, please churn this butter with your feet. <laughs> when we come back, we're going to tabulate the final scores, and then we're going to talk about whether or not Goodwill Hunting has what it takes to outsmart the competition. And we're back, and I have tabulated the scores, and I am ready to reveal... Unto you, my good friends, who will now ascend to the throne of best friendum. Ryan. Yes. You no. scored. What the fuck? 20, Why'd you say my name first? You scored 22 points. 
And in a huge reversal, that was the high score for today. Are you serious? Taylor, you scored 20. No! I'm, God damn it! I'm sorry. I, was, I wasn't doing that Shit! just to get your little hopes up. I, it's important that we don't give it away by always just saying the Fuck winner's me! name second. And I was so excited. This is the only thing I was excited about. Yeah. Sorry about that. Now, in retrospect, that seems like maybe like a mean thing to do, and I do God. apologize. Perhaps I'd care more if you were my best friend. But you're not. You're Ryan, a random that, person. Just that is you, Ryan. I got to say, it's probably because of the amount of Boston accent you used on tonight's show. Well, you know what? Not I feel, enough. I feel like the South Boston of people right now. <laughs> uh, Ryan, I will be sending that inedible arrangement your way. Now, we know... <laughs> Wait, is ar- that flowers? Yeah, it's just flowers. Know, it's just an arrangement. It's just any type of arrangement, really. It's just an arrangement. It's just one very specific arrangement that's edible, <laughs> and they call them edible arrangements. Do you guys know how expensive those are? Have we talked oh, about how expensive yeah, they are? They're so goddamn expensive. Listen, if you want us to not talk about how expensive they are, edible arrangements, you have to sponsor us. Yeah, but also, until then... Also, send us some Sherry's Berries for free. Those things are expensive seriously. as hell. I want Jimmy John's boxers. <laughs> I want, I want, the, Mac, Mac Weldon. Casper mattresses. I want blue aprons. Give uh, me blue aprons. In Green box. Edible arrangements are so expensive, it's as if they take one chunk of cantaloupe, put it on a stick, and then throw the rest of the cantaloupe away. <laughs> like, they're thousands of dollars. So we know that we'll never experience an edible arrangement, but what do we think this movie will experience as it moves into our bracket? Bad. I, I, I'd say it's, I'd say it's just it's right in that area of Titanic for me, and yeah. I think Titanic is beating it out based on just the scale of the thing. Okay. So I, so far this is the worst movie that we've seen for the season. If there was a big Boston boat that sunk in this movie, it would have better chances. Oh, yeah. I, I, I love a big Boston boat. The USS Boston. <laughs> it's a wicked bad boat, and it's sinking. <laughs> oh, no. You know, we got through the most of the show without doing too many Boston accents, <laughs> yeah. I think. Yeah, I, th- I think we were very restrained. Yeah. I, I think it's inter- all things considered. Yeah, I just don't know what else we had to say about this movie. It was not as bad as I thought it might be. Like when yeah. I looked back on it, I thought this might be mediocre. A, will hunting. I think it's we we like the movies that when we get to the end of an episode, we think we could talk more about it. Yeah, and oh, this this, this is, episode should be like twelve minutes shorter. This, yeah, this is an epi- This is a show or a movie that just tells you exactly what it wants you to know on the surface. So it's like we got everything we could just watching fu- it because of fucking therapy. Yeah, like uh, I alternated throughout this movie of thinking like ah, this is enjoyable, and then uh, the alternate was like we're not doing Starship Troopers. Like, yeah. we're not doing all of these other totally. movies. Totally. I feel that. I do have to say, the Mini Driver was amazing. Like, I yes. had forgotten how good she was. She can have probably it. the shushy supporting actress award right now. Yeah, so that, that part is good. I'm glad we watched it for that reason. But yeah, some of the movies that didn't make it. I know what you did last summer. I guess we'll just never have a show about that. Nope, not yeah. going to happen. But yeah, this or almost Mouse feels, Hunt? It feels like many movies that this could square off against in the next round we're just gonna be like this is a slam dunk right anything one anybody wants to say about goodwill hunting before we do you guys think it's like below two and a half stars like is it bad or is it just so average i I think as average as you could possibly get i think it is extremely average and i would prefer if it were worse yeah 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 (laughs) i would have i would have more fun if it were a worse we'd have more depth of feeling about it i mean that this it was i this was the first time in a long time i've been worried that like we wouldn't be able to talk about a movie enough. We just sit just, here in silence. It's just all there, yeah. And we did have that one segment where nobody said anything. Patreons, thanks <laughs> yeah, for paying thanks, for that. Thanks a lot for that, you guys. Check out our silent segment. It was our longest, and it was definitely our quietest. Well, Ryan, you won, and so lately you've been asking me to turn the studio over to you. So. 
Taylor, uh, let's join hands and walk silently out of the... the As is our tradition. Yeah, you right. guys have been practicing your silent skip. So uh-huh. let's see it. Skip, skip, skip. Skip! I am now in control of the studio. And I would like to bring out, to tell us about uh, a couple of websites. I would like to bring out the one, the only, Sherry Sperry's. Uh, hello, it's me, Sherry Sperry's. As you know, I've been selling my berries all over the place, and it's been going really well, sponsoring several podcasts. Oh, Terry, I'm a, I am actually okay on berries right now. But I, 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 nope, filled, I filled my uh, pockets with sundry berries. Yes, and so many pockets you have. I, d- d- the whole of berrydom finds itself in my pockets right now. Have you heard of the miracle berry? A berry that once you eat it makes everything taste sweet. I, can I have one? One of my most... No, this is a very expensive berry. So I you give me all these berries, but I can't I'll have that one that list. I want. Listen, I brought a bunch of my blueberries, and uh-huh. you can have a handful of them. What's the what's the worst selling berry? The worst selling berry I have is Barry Jenkins. Uh-huh. <laughs> Nobody wants crazy Barry Jenkins. No, I would have to say nobody likes raspberries because they're simply a garbage berry. Mm. That's what a bad berry. I was talking to my husband, Peter Sperry's, and I said, Peter, I don't even know why we have the raspberries. And he said, what? My headphones were in. And I said, don't even worry about it, Peter. Jesus. One time I would like you to hear something I say about raspberries, but no, that's too much. And he said, I've, I haven't even taken out my headphones yet. And I said, golly, that's too much. That's exactly what I said to him, and I don't mind telling you. If it's any consolation to you, he is listening to podcasts that only talk about Sherry Sperry, so well, he's getting enough of you, You I try think. listening to a podcast that's not pimping my wicked berries. You just try. Man, everywhere I go, people are saying berries. Sherry Sperry's. I love your berries. I say thank you. And I have your uh, Boston read for when you're on Boston shows here, and it says that, it, part of it's smudge, it says that your berries are wicked or something, and I can't see what else you wrote. Wicked, ridiculously wonderful, I think is what they wrote. It's a, a colloquialism of the Bostonians. Uh, Sherry, can you tell us about some website definitely sherrysperries.com has all your berry needs covered except for raspberries <laughs> but no really you should go to yourpopfilter.com that's where you can find this and many other delightful podcasts uh, and if you're doing your online shopping go to amazon.com slash yourpopfilter it's just like regular shopping except everything you buy gives a little bit of money to Sherry Sperry's. thank you sherry so much get all off right. the stage please I'll see myself take out. some of these berries please thank you. you know what I will. I'll resell these on the open market. They've been on the studio floor. That's, that's fine. <laughs> I, when you run the berry game like I do, some of them get stepped on, right? I'll put this on the street. It's the Omar of the berry world. Yeah, you know what? I, don't, I control every segment of the berry market. Here to tell us about the other shows that re- we record is Steve DeReeve, a werejackal from the jungles to jungles. Oh, what's up, my mate? I'm werejackal. Where Jackal uh, or Steve? Do you, what do you prefer? Uh, please call me Mr. Dereev or the Jackal Down Under. Okay, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go with Mr. Dereev. Uh, you are halfway through some sort of human jackal transformation. Oh, Why, yeah. Did you I, just stop right here? Well, no, I was going to turn into a jackal, but, uh, you know, turns out there's a lot of medical prices that go along with that, so I told him, stop, stop right there. <laughs> I just want half the procedure, so uh, I've got half jackal, half man, and uh, I'm doing a one-man show uh, this okay, week good. at Wimbley. Okay, good. We're going to get right to that. Go ahead. <laughs> well, yeah, I just wanted to plug my one-man show this week at Wimbley. Uh, here we go. Can, we, can you give us a little taste of the opening monologue from your one-man show? 
Where am I? <laughs> Where? <laughs> Where Jackal am I? <laughs> This and sounds like every one-man show I've ever seen. Yeah, and then there's a whole bit where we go over and we talk about like the different ways that I'm unable to ejaculate because of the werewolf stuff, and uh, I'm only like half donkey and all that stuff. You say ejaculate? Yeah, I ejaculate. <laughs> yeah, we all, we all got that, right? <laughs> I, I hope so. I think so. Can you tell us about a couple of other podcasts that we do? Okay, well, um, I do the Jackalcast. It's uh, every Thursday. Um, I just talk about other jackals. They're not very good guests, but uh, I do what I can. Uh, also, Your Pop Filter is uh, doing a Superhero Hour Hour. It's a show where some uh, guys talk about different sorts of superhero television shows. I'm making a television show recently. Uh, I'm going to be a superhero, so just throwing that out there. <laughs> also, the OCD is a show that they do. It's uh, we talk about the OC. Uh, and real quick before you leave, yeah. Mr. Mick. Steven. No, please call me Steve. Okay, I will call you Steve now. No, uh, please call me Mr. McDevin. Mr. McDevin, your son, uh, Kevin, cannot find his shoes. Do you have any response to that? Well, uh, anytime my son Kevin can't find his shoes, I'm like, hey, cut that out. Okay. <laughs> Stop looking for your shoes. Yeah. We can buy new ones because we have one-man show money. Hey, listen, we're wear jackals. We don't need shoes. We got paws. That You're just going to rip your feet through the shoes. Oh, it's yeah. a waste of money. Thanks. Get out of here. Boston. Uh, <laughs> here to tell us about Twitter and Instagram and all of our other social media followings is the one, the only, Mac Weldon. Hey, it's me, Mac Weldon. How's everybody doing? Mac, what do you sell again? Uh, I sell plates and uh-huh. uh, silverware to go with the plates. All the plates have a picture of me, Mac Weldon, on them. And listen, I can't guarantee that any of the plates are going to go up in value because... Quite frankly, none of them have, right? So, That's where I think it's time to start making that guarantee. Yeah, I guarantee what? the next one. Uh, maybe any moment now, one of Mac Weldon's plates is going to go to the top of the charts, baby. Now, Mac Weldon, you don't, it's not a typical business. You no. will barter for these plates. I'm no typical man. That's true. Yeah. Tell um, us about some of those reasons. Well, it's just some of the reasons why I'm not typical. You're not typical, yeah. I've traveled the world in the company of beautiful women and interesting men. I've fought the polar bear with just my hands. And you say the polar bear. Yeah, there's only one. (laughs) Because you killed the rest? The the rest I killed with my knifed hands. And that's that's not part of the silverware you sell. You'll sell forks, you'll sell spoons, but the knives are yours. But I left one polar bear alive, and every winter I fight him. My hands To to his paws. And you know what? I fought him to a standstill for eight winters running, and I plan to defeat him later this year. I will tell the listeners that uh, Mac Weldon is nine feet tall and has a polar bear head and arms and legs. You know what? A lot of people say I'm a very handsome individual. (laughs) Also, thank God for the Second Amendment. That gives you the right to have bear arms. Correct. Uh, So polar bears don't work in that way where like, if you kill the king, then they're all dead? Nope. You got to kill them one at a time. That's that's the way it works. You have to lure them out of their caves with a delicious Coca-Cola, which is their favorite beverage, and then of course jump upon their children, killing them. And when they are upset about what you've done, then you attack Mama Bear. So you fight polar polar bear babies in the same way that like Mario fights weaker <laughs> for sure. Villains. You jump on top of their head. A lot of things will die if you jump right on its head. I guess that's true. That's a true thing. How much from are, Mac Weldon? How much are plates? Uh, the plates are ninety nine ninety nine each. Uh-huh. Um, again, they're guaranteed to do something in value. I can't say what. The government has asked me not to, but question mark, question mark. 
Am I right? Yes. Uh, social media, Mac Weldon? You know what? I have a Twitter. It's at yourpopfilter.com. It's where you can buy all the Mac Weldon plates, uh, subscribe to all my bear fight videos. <laughs> and uh, also, I have an Instagram at yourpopfilter. You'll see a lot of bear and plate related content on that as well, is what I'm being told. Thank you so much. All right. I'll see myself <laughs> out. You guys have a beautiful day. Uh, and finally, to tell us about all the ways that you can contact us is the final polar bear that exists, and it's one remaining child. Hey, uh, park the car in Harvard, y'all. What's up, guys? I'm a pasta bear, and uh, I'm trying to eat a boat. Okay, you're a pasta bear. Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm a pasta bear. <laughs> We're both pasta bears. Yes, you are. Yeah. Yes, you are. What are you doing about uh, his imminent death, your child's imminent death? Oh, uh, you know, I'm in my peace with it. <laughs> so you're just cool with Mac Weldon running around and killing polar bears? Yeah, we all die eventually. Uh, what's, uh, what's bothering a uh, marathon sprinting, you know? It's not a marathon, it's a sprint. There's only two guarantees in life. The first one is you're going to have these big bear paws. And the second one is Mac Weldon's going to kill you. Yeah. You know, that's the life of a polar bear. That's We've come just, to accept it. That's just what we know, you know? And you guys learned that in polar bear school. It's basically all about Mac Weldon. Well, yeah, I went to online polar bear school, but I got the gist. Yeah, I went to uh, Bear Harvard. You've never been to school. Listen to how you talk. What? What? You think someone that talks like this can't go to school? This is what I'm saying, yes. (laughs) (laughs) I went to school for boat eating. And you know what? I'm going to eat the best boat in the harbor. Like Titanic? Well, uh, no, that's already on the bottom of the ocean, idiot. who's, Who's uneducated now, huh? Huh? What's the biggest boat you've ever eaten? Um, you know those little toy boats that you uh, remote control, like Stuart Little goat boats? Of course I do. Yeah, well, I, I ate one of the, like a half of one of those one time as a, like, a after dinner mint. How do you find Stuart Little? Do you go on some sort of thing? <laughs> he wants to know about StuartLittle.com. <laughs> StuartLittle.com, yeah. I go to StuartLittle.com all the time. Okay, and then plug the other stuff that you're here for? Oh, yeah, well, uh, if you want to email stuff, uh, if you're trying to email Stuart Little for some reason, you're still some type of weird Stuart Little emailer, you can contact at yourpopfilter.com. They forward all their emails to Stuart Little. He's asked them not to do it, but they keep doing it. It's so hard to understand anything you're saying because of your lack of education. Uh, Little Polar Bear. Yes. If you're looking for Stuart Little, is there some sort of like search you would to go me, on? To me, he's just Stuart. <laughs> I apologize. Right? I didn't know you were that... Familiar with him. Is there some sort of... Because we're both little. (laughs) Right? I understand. So respective to me, he's just Stuart. The the mouse is still... That's his actual last name. Yeah. Oh, excuse me. I'm sorry. You're being racist. Whoa. I think it's anti-Semitic. I've put my big paw in it here. feel awful. Is there any sort of like search you would go on to find the type of person that Stuart Little is? I would call Dr. (laughs) T.J. Pop. I don't know what you're talking what? about. Uh, I think it's talking about Google. Have you go to the Stuart Little Google? It's gonna gonna Google us, but uh, contact yourpopfilter.com or one five six two talk to DJ Pop. I need you guys to leave immediately. All right, I feel I, like we did a good job. I think I'm gonna eat that boat. I finally. think we helped out. Yeah, I do too. Good job. Be one of what fully realized characters. Yeah. There's lots of crudite and toy boats downstairs <laughs> in the green room. Greg, please come back. Wow, guy, there's a a big bear and a little bear. They uh-huh. just one of the big guy was eating a boat. That's <laughs> what a rich rich tapestry of character actors we have here. Well, that is all the time we have for Movie of the Year. When we come back, our next episode will be Contact. The one least likely. The one least likely. This is our lowest-seeded movie of all time. The 22nd 
seed somehow found its way in will probably be a better movie than Goodwill Hunting. Tune in for that episode. But until then, keep watching them I'm just going to sing a song about the Pop Filter Hall of Fame just off the top of my head. And um, it's going to go this. The Pop Filter Hall of Fame. Once you get in, you're never the same. You changed our lives and we know your name. The Pop Filter, the Pop Filter, the Pop Filter Hall of Fame.